And here's what we're doing is we're kind of heading into Easter. If you know the church calendar, this is called Lent. And we're preparing our hearts and our minds and our, our souls for the celebration of Easter, both Good Friday and the death of Jesus, but also Sunday morning, Easter morning, and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a great song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now that comes from an idea in 2 Corinthians that says we're transformed from one degree of glory to another as we look into the face of Christ Jesus. That scripture says the more you see Jesus, the more that changes us into the likeness of Christ. That there's a sense in which there's something that we don't even have to do, but just looking into the face, into the person of Jesus, that transforms us from one degree of glory to another. And so in the Gospel of John, what John has set up for us is this picture of who Jesus is. And he does this through a series of statements called the I Am Statements. So he'll say, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And so every time we look at one of these statements, we're looking into the face of Jesus. We're looking into the face of God, and God transforms us from one degree of glory to another. And in uh, John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at this idea that I am the light of the world. So let's pick it up in verse 12. We're going to go from verse 12 to verse 20. You guys got it? John chapter 6, pick it up in verse 12, and we'll go to 8. Did I, what did I say? Well, see, I shouldn't have shaved my beard. That's, that's what it was. So John chapter 8, that's where we are. I'm in trouble. And verse 12 to 20, here we go. The word of the Lord. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're, wearing, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered them, even if I do not bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, but I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that in the beginning in Genesis, you said through your spoken word, let there be light. 
and light shine, shone in the darkness, that that which was formless and void took shape. It began to overflow with light and life simply because you pronounced life into existence. And you said the gospel is the power of God unto life, unto salvation just for all who believe. And so, Father, as we're assembled and gathered as the ecclesia that called out the church, Father, would you speak just as you did in Genesis 1, let light shine in the darkness and allow the light of the glory of the face of Christ Jesus through the power of the Spirit to illuminate our minds, our hearts, our emotions through your word, Father, that we may see you, that we may know you and be transformed today from one degree of glory into another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, Father, guide us in this time, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Genesis 1. If you go to Genesis 1, what you'll find is in the beginning it says that everything was formless. It was void. There was a darkness, and the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. And in this place of darkness, this formless void, God said, let there be light. And when the light appeared, that which was formless took form, and that which was darkness became light, and what was once formless and dark was now overflowing with life. Because in the power of God's word, there is life. And Jesus is here, and we're going to talk about the circumstance, the setting of what he's doing. There's something going on here that's a little awkward in some ways, because he says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. And then someone in the crowd said, your testimony isn't true. They just kind of called him out right in front of everybody. He's being heckled by the crowd, and they're saying, your testimony isn't true because you're testifying about yourself. And see, in that time to testify, you had to have one or two or three witnesses who would agree with you and testify on your behalf. And Jesus is saying, you don't know where I came from. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I'm going. My father is testifying about me. And that's what the gospel of John is all about. It's the testimony of the father pointing to who Jesus is. And in these signs in the gospel of John, in the changing of water into wine, if you've heard about that in John chapter 2, in the miracles that take place, it's revealing who Jesus is. And in this statement in John 8, he's saying, I am the light of the world. That in the darkness and the formlessness of life, uh, of light, of light and darkness, I bring life. And out of that, the people respond. And in fact, it says in verse, tw- in verse 20 that they wanted to arrest him. That what Jesus was saying was, was something that he was claiming for himself that caused the people actually to respond by the end of chapter 8 and say, Jesus has got to go. There's something about his identity and what he's going to accomplish that he's revealing in John 8. And and the people are going to revolt against that. And by the end of this, they're going to say, we can't accept this guy's message. There's something in this message that Jesus is the light that turns everything upside down. And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at this kind of in three ways. First of all, we're just going to look at the simple metaphor. What does it mean to say, I am the light of the world? And then I want to sit for a minute, if we can, in the magnitude of what that means. And then finally, if you can follow me with this, if if you may not have a big Old Testament background, it may be a little challenging, but there's a majesty in what he says that is 
is deep, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to look at the metaphor, we're going to look at the magnitude, and then we want to just gaze, hopefully, at the majesty of who he is claiming to be. You guys ready? First of all, the metaphor. Jump back in verse 12. In verse 12, Jesus says, you know, I am... Again, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, the basic idea is that light leads to life. See, in John chapter 1, verse 4, when Jesus showed up, it said, John said that John the Baptist said, In him, meaning in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The most basic source of life is light. If we don't have the sun, we freeze. But even more than that, if we don't have the sun and the effects of the sun, we don't have fossil fuels. We don't have energy. All the things that we rely upon come directly from the effects of the sun. And when light shows up, it brings life. And so Jesus is showing up and he's saying, I bring life. Not just in the physical sense, but in a very real spiritual sense. I am life, and I am the light of the world. And see, what light does, it's first of all life, but it's also truth. You may know that phrase in uh, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That when light shows up, you see what's there. You see what's in front of you. You see the challenges of life. You see the objectivity of life. Light reveals truth. And we all know the opposite of that, of walking in the darkness, in the middle of the night, running into something that we didn't think was there. Now, we didn't think it was there because we couldn't see the reality of its presence. Now, it was there. It was there all the time. It didn't just suddenly appear when we got out of bed and began to walk towards the bathroom. But what happens is the darkness hides the truth. But where there is light, light bounces off the object. It hits your retina. It says, I'm here. This is reality. And Jesus says when he shows up, reality shows up. He opens our eyes to see. He opens our minds to understand. He shows us the light of life. So light is life, but light is also truth. But here's another reality. Light is joy. I don't know if you had this experience after the bomb cyclone, is that what they called it? Descended upon us, but when that sun came up on Thursday and then Friday morning, it made two hours of shoveling just worth it. (laughs) To see the beauty of the light off the snow, off the mountains, off everything you see around us, there is a joy when light shows up and the properties of light is every single color of the rainbow. Within light is joy because when light shows up in the warmth of the sun, you have to smile. Now, if you've grown up in the Northeast, you've grown up in Minnesota, that kind of Midwest, winter is not about smiling. Now, we'd have a snowstorm in the Boston area, and and the sun was a concept, but it wasn't a reality. Because when the snow fell, it wasn't like the sun. You knew the sun was going to come out the next day. No, it would be weeks of just clouds and gloom and that kind of dark, ugly snow that covered everything. And the sun was distant. And so there's this seasonal defective, defective, not defective, this seasonal disorder that comes upon us of depression and sadness because we don't experience the sun. But when the sun shows up, it brings joy. 
So in this metaphor is packed this idea of life, of truth, and of joy. But here's the danger. Just as light is necessary for life, too much light destroys life. Just as life is, light is necessary, it's absolutely essential for life, too much light, unmediated uh, light, it destroys life. Now, we, we recognize that. Now, we disagree as to why, what causes that, but when the ozone layer is depleted, when the atmosphere diminishes, we know the co- what's going to result is more cancer. We know that the oceans may rise. We know that the deserts may expand. That in this metaphor of light is something so wonderful, so beautiful, so joyful, and yet on the other hand, so dangerous that we need a mediator. You know, as a kid, we used to try to look into the sun. You ever do that? Yeah, we weren't real bright. But that was our entertainment. How long could you look into the sun without blinking? And we'd count like one, two, three. Now, you know if you do that long enough, the light that you see is actually going to destroy your eyes. You're not going to be able to see the light. The overwhelming power of light is going to take you into the darkness. And so in this metaphor is this paradox. On the one hand, we desperately need it. But on the other hand, if it's not mediated, if there's not some kind of filter between us, the light will overwhelm us. And so when Jesus shows up, he's saying that same reality. I am the light of the world. I am life. I am truth. I am joy. But unfiltered, I will overwhelm you. And so that's just the metaphor. But here's the magnitude. Here's the magnitude of what, of what he's communicating. Because in verse 12, he says, follow me. And in following me, you will, have, you will have the light of life. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean in this context to follow Jesus as the light of life? Now, Scripture uses these metaphors of light, but also darkness. Now, what's different about the Bible than maybe Lord of the Rings or some of those, those images that we have uh, in, in fiction is that light and darkness are not equal. I think some people think of darkness as equal unto light, and there's these two realities. There's good and there's bad. But what Jesus is describing is light always overwhelms the darkness. The darkness cannot overwhelm the light. Because, and you see that when you open the door at night, and somebody knocks on the door, it's the middle of the night, I guess, and it's dark at it, and you open your door. It's not like the darkness comes in. Instead, the light goes out. Because light and darkness, they're not equal. Light always overpowers the darkness. But see, Scripture says when we receive the light of Jesus, we are transferred from a domain of darkness into a kingdom of light. That when we encounter Jesus, there's actually this transfer that takes place. Out of darkness into light. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, We give thanks to God the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Or of light. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That faith means to be transferred from the domain of darkness into a kingdom of light. And in that kingdom, your eyes are open so you see truth. There's an opportunity to savor the joy of life in a way that before you couldn't savor it. And there's a life that's now in you, that's now flowing through you. We're transferred from the domain of darkness into light. And so let me just speak into that just just for a minute. Because I think if you're not a Christian, that may seem like a pretty dark 
It is dark. A dark picture. That on a spiritual level, what he's saying is if we don't have the light of Jesus, there are things, objects, reality, just like getting up in the middle of the night and walking to the bathroom in the night, there's things you're not going to see. Now, not because you're not smart. It's nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with that reality. It's not because you can't figure it out. Instead, what he's saying, there are objects, there are truths that are spiritually discerned. They come from the illumination of the heart. And the truth is, all of us are at the same place. All of us, as Scripture says, are walking in a kingdom of darkness. Now, not in a kingdom of darkness in that you can't enjoy life. You can enjoy life. You can enjoy good food. You can be a non-Christian and enjoy a good marriage. But what you're going to miss out on is the purpose and the intention behind those good things. The joy of glorifying God through what he's given us. And so he says, as Christians, we've been transferred from that place, that space of darkness, into this, this kingdom of light. Now, here's part of the challenge in that. And here's something I know that I've struggled with, I think, early on in my Christian faith, is that because that's happened, and many of us, you know, because we put our faith in Jesus, we're now good Christians. And you know what? Good Christians don't struggle with X. And you can fill in the blank. And there's this hideous lie that's out there that because I'm a Christian, I don't struggle, or good Christians shouldn't struggle with this. But here's the truth. I'm struggling with this. And therefore, I've got to hide. Do you know that narrative? So good Christians, right? Good Christians. If you're a Christian, you're not going to struggle with this. The reality is I am struggling with this. And so instead of walking in the light, instead of confessing, within the church, I feel like I need to hide. Because see, if people in the church, the people sitting next to you right now found out what's going on in your marriage or the addictions that you're suffering with, or even the prescription drugs that you can't put down. It could be the alcohol that you have to go to every single night. It could be what you turn on as you turn on the computer during the day. There's something that you have to go to. And there's this compelling need that in it is life. And so that life, that life in the darkness, what it forces you to do is it forces you to hide. And it causes you to believe the lie that if people found out what's going on in my life, they wouldn't accept me. Because good Christians don't struggle with these kinds of things. And what happens is when the light shows up, we're so afraid of the light that we run back to the darkness. And here's how David in, in the Psalms described that. In Psalm 139, David described it this way. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you, meaning you can't hide. And so when we hide from people, we're just fooling ourselves. See, we hide from the approval of others. We hide from the rejection of others, from other people seeing what's going on in our life and what he's saying when the light sees you, there's no reason to remain in the darkness. There's no reason to hide. Because if God, in, through Jesus Christ, has accepted us, then why are we hi hiding from each other? Now, sometimes we need to hide because people are not safe, and that's okay. But often what we're doing is we're hiding from everybody. We're not just hiding from a group of people, but there is something in our life, and it's constantly driving us back into secrecy. 
And so in Psalm 32, and if you'll jump there in Psalm 32, verse 1, David describes the blessing of light flooding the darkness of his life. That when the light came in, it was as if he got set free. Once he was walking in light, which means not just light with God, because light with God should transform our relationships with each other. Because if we're fully known and fully loved by God, then why are we hiding from each other? And so notice the way that David describes this in Psalm 32, verse 1. He said, blessed, and blessed could be happy. Happy is the one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I hid, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, God, you were chasing me. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. How great is it to be fully known and yet completely forgiven and loved? You know, doctors tell us in, in many psychiatric wards if their patients could simply be assured of forgiveness, that they would walk out sane the next day. No more shame, no more guilt. No more need to hide. David says, when I allowed light to come into my life, I felt free. But here's the challenge. Often what we do is we usher each other back into the darkness. Hear me on this. In churches, we often create environments that push people back. Because we don't know how to operate on grace and truth. Both truth and holding up standards that lead to life, but also grace. You know, one of the beautiful things that I find as I go through the New Testament, certainly as you read the story just before this of the woman that's caught in the act of adultery, and she was caught. Now, we know there's some, something going on there because there's no, there's no man that's caught in the act of adultery. It's very difficult for a woman just to be caught by herself. So something's going on in this passage that's not quite right. Jesus sees through that, and this woman is brought. She's caught in the act of adultery. She hasn't confessed. She's not repentant, she's afraid, and yet mercy is given to her. You ever notice that? Sometimes we think, you know, mercy can only be given to those that really confess, those that say to God, hey, God, I need your forgiveness. And yet God in his grace pours out mercy even when we're hiding. He chases after us. And the question becomes, how do we respond? On the one hand, we may receive forgiveness, but do we walk in that state of forgiveness? Knowing that if God fully knows me and fully loves me and de declares me his child, when I walk in the light and I confess to others or there's a community in my life that understand the struggles that I'm going through. Uh-oh, somebody's talking. That's okay. I forgot what I was going to say. That's one of those days. Yeah. It was good, though. It was good. Yeah, when we're walking in that place of darkness and we're afraid and we're walking in shame, it just it keeps us in that place of hiding. But how good is it just simply to walk into the sun, to walk into the light? Now, to do that, here's what you need. You need the cross. 
You see, if we truly believe the cross of Christ, then God's already called you out. He's called all of us out. Because he, what he's saying to us is the seriousness of sin requires the seriousness of the cross. And so none of us should be surprised at the sin around us. Often in the church, we're surprised when we encounter sin, right? Like, wow. And it's kind of sad. Over the last, I think, year, year and a half, there's been a number of very, very prominent pastors, some prominent leaders over the church that have fallen. And they've not fallen just a little bit. I mean, just all the way down. And it surprises us, doesn't it? You see somebody like that? Somebody that's a part of a huge leadership team, someone that's incredibly successful, someone that has a podcast that's on, you know, one or two, the top podcasts on iTunes. You wonder, how could somebody like that fall in that kind of darkness? It's because they're not willing to admit the darkness in their own life. Now, they may be able to admit that before God, but when you will not admit that before man, it takes us to a place of guilt and shame and deceit and lying that on the outside we look one way, but on the inside there's fear, there's darkness, and that darkness always leads to slavery. And Jesus is saying in this passage, walk in the light. Now, first of all, the light of knowing God through Jesus that we are forgiven and accepted, but then the light of walking in community with each other. Now, here's, here's the challenge. How do we do that? Because I think that can be a scary place. And I know in my own life and struggling through different uh, addictions and challenges that I've gone through, one of the most frightening moments is that moment of confession. Have you been there? Maybe you've struggled with something for years and years and you, you sit somebody down and here it comes. I can't believe I'm about to say it. And the words come out of your mouth and there's that terror, Right? As if your identity has just been placed on the table in front of this person, how are they going to respond? And there's that freedom when that person responds to you and says, hey, listen, thank you for sharing that with me. I want to help you. I want to support you. I want to love you. I want to help you to walk through this. But where do we find that kind of strength and dynamic? And this is where the majesty of this illustration comes out. Because if you jump back in this passage, you look down in verse 20, there is a setting that's taking place. There's a situation in which Jesus is saying these words, I am the light of the world. And watch this in verse 20. And it says, he spoke these words, or these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus is in a specific place in the temple, and he's before the treasury. Now, if you jump back in chapter 7, I think it's about 37, you'll find out that the setting of this uh, this teaching is on a specific day. And it was during a period called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last day, the last day of celebration during this week-long period that was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a party. You may not realize that the Old Testament is filled with parties. Our God is a partying God. And the Bible ends with a feast before the Lamb. And so I think that's something we got to learn to do is to celebrate but what they did was they celebrated what God had provided when they were going through a very dark period in life. And so the Feast of Tabernacles focuses on this one, um, it's a one-week period that focuses on the 400 years in which the Israelites wandered in the desert. And so if you know the story in the Exodus, God rescues his people out of Egypt. And he brings them into the desert, into a place in which there is no provision. There's no way to provide water, food. There's no way to provide light in the darkness or even covering from the intensity of the sun. 
And what they celebrate during this time is all the provisions that God gave them. And specifically, they do it in three ways. First of all, they'd all gather in tents. So they go camping. They all go camping, and for the entire week, they would live in tents because they recognized that for 400 years, we did not have a home. And God provided a home for us. And the next thing that they did was they would pour out water. Because in the desert, it's very difficult to find water. In this moment in which Moses strikes this rock, and out of this rock comes flowing water. And so they celebrate how God provided water in the desert. And the final, the final thing they did was every single night, there was kind of like the lighting of the Christmas tree. They go into the temple, and they would take these two huge candles, and they would light them. And what they would describe is that the light of the tabernacle, the light of the temple, would flood the entire city. And during this week, you could see the lights of the temple from uh, miles around just illuminating and bringing light to everything around them. And so here is Jesus, and he's standing in this place in the temple during this celebration, and he's saying to the people, I am the light of the world. Now, one of the implications of that is this, is that while they were in the wilderness, as they were looking for water and food and light and protection, God showed up. And see, God showed up in a very unique way. During the day, he was, he was described as a cloud. And you need a cloud in the desert because you need something to protect you from the light, something to protect you from the heat of the sun. But see, at night, that cloud began to glow and became a pillar of fire. And wherever the cloud went, the people followed. And so if the cloud picked up and moved, the people picked up and moved. And wherever the cloud stopped and settled, the presence of God was there. And so in Exodus chapter 13, this is how Moses describes it. Exodus 13, verse 21. And it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And they had to travel by day and by night. You see, this cloud, this very presence, was God's, as the Old Testament describes it, Shekinah glory. It meant the glory of his presence. Now, you've experienced that in the presence of important people. You ever get nervous in somebody's presence? You know, see someone from a distance and you get, oh, is, that, is that who I think it is? When you're around somebody of significance, there's an aura, isn't there? Sometimes you're nervous. Sometimes you're, you're afraid. Maybe you don't say things well. You get nervous around the opposite sex. There's certain people that have this aura. But what is the aura of God? It's called his glory. It's called his weightiness. In this cloud, it represented the very personal presence of God. And throughout scripture, you'll see this picture of this cloud coming up. And, and Daniel talks about uh, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And that's not clouds. That's Shekinah. That's presence. That's glory. That God was manifesting himself to his people. And he was doing that through this metaphor of light. So here's the picture, if you're following me. Here's Jesus in this temple, and he's standing before these candles. And realize, this is the last day of the celebration. So everything, all the decorations are coming down. Which means on the seventh day, the one thing you didn't do was you didn't light the candles. That as darkness was coming over the temple, and for those six nights, you remembered how those candles were lit, and this light would flood the city. And here's Jesus in front of these candles, in the treasury, in the temple, and when the candles are supposed to be lit, he says, light has returned. See, I am the light of the world. When you go through the Old Testament, what you'll find is when you get to books like Ezekiel, these prophets, what they'll describe is they'll say to us 
that in the temple, in, in the tabernacle, something happened where the glory of God, his personal presence was lifted. And it's called Ichabod. You ever met an Ichabod? Hopefully not, because Ichabod means no glory. Glory is gone. And in the Old Testament, they said over the, this place of worship where God's presence was supposed to be, Ezekiel declares it Ichabod, meaning that in the temple, there is no more light. Because of the disobedience of the people, the personal manifest presence of God, the cloud, the fire, his intimate presence, it was lifted. And for centuries, the people would cry out and say, God, when are you going to come back? When are we going to experience your presence again? When will your light shine again in the darkness like you did with Moses and like you did with Abraham like you did with our forefathers when will you show up again and so when Jesus stands in the temple he's saying God is back his personal presence has now come back and through me through my light you will now again see the face of God see Jesus is not just saying something about the benefits he can give us he's revealing something about the character and the person of who he is that in Jesus we see the light of God's presence. And see, the more we gaze into the light of God's presence through the face of Christ Jesus, and the more your life begins to be impacted by who he is, God begins to mold us. He begins to change us. I'll tell you, for me, the first time that happened was when the gospel became real. I mean, I was 18, 19 years old, and I'd heard the gospel. You know, Jesus died for my sins, okay. I got that idea. I'm a sinner. I know there's things I need to change. Jesus came. Maybe he came to give me a little information, make my life better, give me more joy in life. But for some reason on that night, when I heard that story of Christ living and dying and resurrecting, it, it wasn't information. In that moment, it was light. It, it was as if the information became living. God became active, and the eyes began to open. A heart began to beat in a different way, and a new spiritual reality began to, to take place. I was alive. Now, I, I was alive in the same way a baby is alive. A baby's, what, 90% cartilage? You know, a baby can hardly walk, hardly move. That's, that's where we are when we start in our spiritual life. And often what we do is we try to hide those imperfections. We try to hide away from our condition and where we are. But when the light came in and the Spirit of God came in, the things of God began to become more attractive, more satisfying. The word of God began to become more attractive and satisfying. And then you start reading scripture and you find there's things in there that before I, I never realized. And God begins to speak personally and address things in your life. But what happens, so often what happens is instead of chasing after the light, we just we fall back into the darkness. We fall back into patterns. Because the older we get, what often happens as, as we parent our kids is as parents, there's some place, sometimes you got to step back. And with children, you're constantly watching over them, providing for them, caring for them. But as we grow, as parents, we want our kids to learn how to take care of themselves. And God the Father is the same way with us. As young Christians, as young people, young people in the faith, he's right there next to us, constantly near us. Just like a child, there's no moment that we can't run to him. But as we grow up and mature in our faith, sometimes what the father does is he says, Jason, and he said that to me a lot, I just want you to be obedient right now. Yeah, but God, I want to feel your presence. No, to feel my presence, 
you've got to allow the light of who I am, the truth of who I am, to direct your life. And until you're willing to surrender to me and say, hey, I'm not going to sit on the fence, but I want all of you. It's in that moment that I can truly shine the light of my presence into your life. And there's times in adolescence where my dad said, hey, you need to figure this thing out. I'm here for you. I love you. I've given you the truth. I've spoken into your life. But when are you going to walk in that and see who you are and see what you've been given and walk out into life with responsibility and light that's not just about yourself but about others? See, when Jesus shows up and he says, I am the light of the world, He's saying, I'm the very presence of God. And see, that's the Christian life. It's living in the light. You know, and that's every day. It's every day because every new struggle brings a little more darkness, a little more difficulty, a little more challenge. And the goal of the Christian life is simply to say to the Father, Father, in this moment, will you show me the light? Would you show me the light of who you are? And then second, Father, would you direct that light on my path? And so I don't know where you are today or what you may be struggling with, but the prayer that I'd encourage you to pray is just say, Father, and what I'm wrestling with, would you be my light? Meaning not my wisdom or not my desires, not what I think is best, but Father, would you be the light of life? And as I see that light and as I follow you, Father, would you show me and continue to remind me of who you are? Because light brings life, light brings truth, and light in the end brings joy. And see, that's what Jesus has come to bring us, that his, his life is a life of abundance and a life that's seeking to set us free. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I'm reminded just constantly as I'm up here of the words in, in 1 John. This is the message. This is the message we heard from him, and now we declare to you. God is light. And in, in you, Father, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him but walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But, Father, if we would just walk in the light, if we would confess how much we need the light as you are in the light, we would have a, a fellowship with each other. There wouldn't be fear and shame. And the blood of Jesus would cleanse us from all sins. Because, Lord, you've given us your word and your spirit because, dear children, we know that we fall into sin, and yet you have one. You have a defender, the advocate, the righteous one who sits at the right hand of God the Father and defends us day and night against the accusations of the evil one and wants to say over us, you are my child, you are my daughter, and whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Would you come back into the light of my glory and grace? And, Father, for us that are just unwilling to confess, would you just expose that? Would you expose it in us? You tell us in, in Romans 1 that sometimes we have to be turned over to our desires. And, and God, you let us over to the things that we want so that we can see the destruction and we can see the pain of darkness. Lord, would you simply call us out, whether exposing us or Holy Spirit convicting us? Because in your light and in your life, Father, there's joy and peace. And so enable us, Lord, this morning not to walk out of here without confessing. And maybe there's someone we need to confess to. Father, in Jesus' name, would you reveal those who are safe, those who have both grace and truth, those who can bring life and speak life over us. Because we don't have to hide. So, Father, this morning, would the angel that tries to tries to 
walk in, in light, but we know is an angel of darkness that speaks lies over us, would it dissipate in the light of your glory and grace? And Father, would we turn our eyes today simply upon you? And in the face of Jesus, would we be transformed just today to one more degree of glory? Father, would you meet us here, Holy Spirit? And would you draw us closer to you, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand as we respond.